Good morning, everybody. I was going to make room to do what we did earlier because I don't want to do anything by routine or repetition, and God already did it, so we got some good stuff out of the way already. That's awesome. Uh, I'm going to continue my message that I started on Father's Day, and I remembered one thing that I wanted to say, and so I'm just going to say it now and we can get it to Kyle, but Kyle Bird spoke. I had a few minutes to, to share, so I gave a very short message. But I forgot the one thing that I remembered about Kyle that had spoken to me about his testimony in his life. When he went to start his church, he reached out to Pastors Easy and Lena and asked for their blessing to use the name Epicenter. And that always ministered to me. It just it spoke to me that as a father and a man of God, doing something honorable like that, showing honor where honor is due, he didn't legally have to do that. There was no requirement. But I think in God's eyes and God's kingdom, it was the right thing to do. And I wanted to, to get that on record because I didn't get that out the last time. But since I'm continuing my message from Father's Day, I'm going to share something that the Lord spoke to me as a father just the other day. I was at home, and it was really quiet. And we had several. One of our daughters was away at camp for a week the other week. And through a couple of different conversations, God just brought this to me, that as a father— my kids, we, we interact in different ways as they grow, as they, in, in different ages and different stages, you have different, your relationship changes. And it's not bad, it's good. Every stage is wonderful. And we've, Angie and I have determined to just enjoy every age and every stage. And one of the things that we noticed was that it's such a blessing just to hear them, just to have them in the house, just to hear them making noise, and just to know that they're alive and that they're here with us. And... God spoke to me in that moment. That's how he feels about us. You bring delight to God. He loves each and every single one of you. He loves you just for who you are. Just, just to hear your breathing and your heartbeat brings him joy because you're his creation and you mean so much to him. And so as I share today, just keep that in mind. Keep, receive everything with that heart and with that mindset. So on Father's Day, I, I started to share a story about a telescope, and I'm going to go back to that. Before I do, let's open up with prayer, if you would. I just want to encourage you to be real with God, be honest with God, and be willing to be vulnerable with God. And let him show you anywhere in your heart or your life that is something that he wants to remove or work on or change or challenge, some area or some thought that maybe hasn't been yielded to him yet. And make a choice right now to say yes to whatever he wants to do. Father, have your way in us. Let us hear what you have to say today. We're not here for rituals. We're not here to perform religious duties. We're here to be your body, and we've already experienced and received so much from you. So, Father, give us ears to hear. Speak to us. Show us what your heart is towards us as your children, and help us to say yes in a deeper, more intimate way than we ever have before. In Jesus' name, amen. I started off with a, God told me to tell the telescope story on Father's Day, and, and the story was we found a telescope in the, in the trash in someone's yard one day, and we, were, we got it out one night when the moon was bright, and we were practicing working with it, and what we noticed was as soon as you got it focused, it wouldn't be very long before it would be out of focus again, and at first thought it was like, oh, we don't know how to use this, or this thing's a piece of junk, and then we started to realize, oh, wait, the earth is moving oh, wow. And whenever a train or a car goes by, there's vibration. And so there's this constant need to be adjusting 
and tracking and focusing the lenses. And my, the topic or sermon title, if you will, was fight for your perspective. And so this is kind of a continuation. How do we fight for our perspective? Don't feel discouraged or believe the lie that because you have to fight for your perspective, you're defeated. No, the fact that you have to fight for your perspective is a fact that your indication that you're alive, you have breath, and that God has territory for you to take, and there's opposition. There's, there's, there's challenges to remaining focused and remaining, keeping your perspective where it needs to be. So the, the, a few days after that Sunday, I got invited to speak at a youth group, and when I was sharing with the, the kids about that story, one of the kids said, oh, I've got a story like that. Our family had a really nice telescope, about a $1,000 telescope. And my uncle was there one night, and I can't remember if he was drinking something he shouldn't have been or not, but what happened was the uncle went to look through the telescope, and they got it all set up, and he couldn't see anything. And he got so angry, he slammed the telescope down on the ground and broke it. And then he went and hid it in the house real quick so the, the, the kid's mom, his sister, wouldn't find out about it. And he told us, don't tell my mom. She still doesn't know to this day. But what happened was there was cloud cover that night. And he didn't realize that he couldn't see the stars or the moon because there were clouds, not because there was something wrong with the telescope. And so we can get into that same predicament where we get angry about our perspective. And instead of fighting for our perspective, we fight the perspective that we have. And so when I was researching this, I, I looked up, what's the difference between perspective and perception? It's really actually kind of confusing. And if you look at all the searches that come up, they'll confuse you. A lot of the articles, like I've read two articles that said exactly the opposite thing of each other. But John Maxwell had a really good article that said something to this effect, that perspective is your point of view. Your perception is how you feel about and interpret your point of view. And it's easy to think that your perspective comes first and your perception comes second, but it's actually backwards. And your perception is based on what you believe, and your beliefs are based on things you have either repetitively taught and trained yourself or a dramatic event that has happened. So someone that's been sexually assaulted as a young person can grow up with an obsession or an aversion or a perversion in, in that area of life. It's the same thing with any kind of trauma or any kind of or if, if you feed yourself the wrong things, you'll, be, you'll develop a belief system, which will change your perception. And then when you are in any given situation looking at anything, your perspective will be determined by your perception, not the other way around. So what I want to talk about today is fighting for our perspective. Now, Genesis 1 verse 14 says that in the beginning, God did something. We're not going to read the whole chapter. But this says, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. I want to encourage you. We've got to dig in. We've got to dig beneath the surface of our translations because God's got rich treasures for us. That word signs means something very specific. And this is what it means. It means Signs or tokens of change of weather and times. So God created the heavenlies, the stars, and he created constellations, which are patterns, which got perverted into astrology, but really they were God's astronomy. And they tell a story in the stars. The gospel is actually presented in the stars, if you know how to study it. 
But when it gets perverted, it becomes something that man tries to use other powers to determine future and whatnot. It's just, it's a perversion. But the point is, God created the heavenlies before he created us. He started telling his story from the very beginning, before there was even a fall from grace. In Psalms chapter 19, verses 1 through 4, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Have you ever heard the moon or the stars speaking? In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. So I want you to keep in mind the telescope stories. Keep in mind that to have a proper perspective takes effort. It takes intentionality. It takes adjustment. It takes response. It takes determination. God's story has been being told from the beginning of creation. Even when there's clouds and we can't see the stars in the heavens, his story is being told. Even when we don't have a telescope, his story is being told. Even when we can't see or we don't know how to use the telescope, his story is being told. So, one more verse for you. If you go to Romans 1, chapter 20, one more verse about the heavens, emphasizing this. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead or divine nature, so that they are without excuse, and they is all of mankind. So God's story is being told. It's our job to fight for a proper perspective. It's an incorrect thought. It's an incorrect position to say, well, God's not real, or he doesn't love me, he doesn't care about me. And what the story is that's being told is his good news. When you look up the word gospel, it doesn't mean how to become a Christian. It means God's entire good news, his entire story throughout the Bible. But there's a Bible principle when you study Scripture called the law of first mention. It means if you want to understand the meaning of a word or a concept, you've got to find the first time that it occurs in Scripture and study it in that context. So guess where the word gospel first appears? Gospel means good news. It appears in Matthew, and the first time it's used is talking about the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Yes! <laughs> so I have it on good authority that the gospel has a lot to do with God's kingdom. Now, the first mention of dominion or kingdom happens in Genesis 1.26. So we've got Genesis 1.14, and then 12 verses later, Genesis 1.26, talking about kingdom. God's good news from the creation before we were even created is being told. We were brought into this story, and even though we fell in Adam, he came after us to tell us the story and to restore it. So, God's good news has three concepts within it, and I want to suggest this to you. First, God is. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. Because those that come to him must believe that he is. If God doesn't exist, nothing else matters. If he doesn't exist, then it doesn't matter if he's good or not, because he doesn't exist. So he can't be good or bad, because he doesn't exist. So, if God exists, 
And God's good news, the second thing is, is God is good. God is good all the time. If God exists and he's not good, you and I are in trouble. In a lot of trouble. And then the third attribute, and I, these are kind of like the ingredients of concrete. If you want to make concrete, you need three things. You need cement, you need sand, and you need water. Those are the three ingredients to make a good foundation. If God is, is if he exists, and he's good, but he's not able then we're still at a loss because it's like having a grandpa who exists and he's good, but he can't really help you out if you need him. You know what I'm saying? Or if God is good and he's able, I mean, if God is and he's able, but he's not good, then we're really in trouble. We need all three of those pillars to have a, a stand to, to, to begin our, our, our faith walk. And so this is what God gave me when I was putting this message it's not just that God is able. The story is that God is acting on his goodness. God is and he is good and he is actively acting on his goodness to come after you and me and everyone that's in the world because he loves us like a father loves us and he wants us in his family. He wants us in his home. He wants to be in fellowship and intimacy. He wants to share life with us. He wants to give us his life. Now, when I started my professional career, I was working for an insurance company and this, this old veteran sales guy who was like the ultimate used car salesman. I mean, he had an answer for everything and, and like he could sell ice and a refrigerator to an ex Eskimo. He said, insurance is really simple. There's three parts to any insurance contract. You get to design two, the insurance company gets to design the third one. And he said, these are the three parts. There's the money you pay or the benefit you pay there's the benefit you receive, and then there's the gotcha clauses. And so if you say, I want a million-dollar policy, and I want to pay a dollar in premium, you get to design those two parts. Now, the insurance company gets to design the gotcha clause. You've got to die being run over by an elephant walking backwards on a Tuesday in a monsoon with purple polka dots on it, and it needs to be in a specific country, and the temperature needs to be a certain thing. In other words, it's never going to happen. If you want to have a million-dollar policy and all you need to do is call up the insurance company and say, I feel like I'm dead today, pay up, then they're going to say, okay, that'll be $999,099. You get to design two parts. They get to design the third part. So it's the best two out of three, in other words. And I, I, God reminded me of that when I was thinking about this because a lot of times the enemy does that, tries to get us to negotiate that thinking with God. Well, God's not really all three out of three. I'm, you know, he's two out of three, but he's not really always three out of three. Because we've all, we're, we're all here because we believe God is, and we can come to the point where we, we've, we're at the point where we believe God is good. And I believe that we all believe that God is able. But we've all seen and experienced circumstances which seem to contradict one of those. And so... If you have a wrong understanding about God's ability, you open yourself up to being deceived into thinking a wrong thing about him and losing your perspective about who he is and who you are. So one of the things that I share when I'm talking with people about this is that God is able. Would you agree that there's nothing that God can't do? And Everyone's like, yeah, God is. And, and, and I disagree. I said, there's one thing that I believe that God cannot do. 
And people either get it or they're like, what? How dare you say that? You know, God, God's, God can do anything. God can't lie. He cannot violate his word. And that's where the challenge comes in because if God says, I'm going to do things in a certain way and I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to go back on my word, if we are ignorant of how he says he's going to do things and our adversary knows how he does things, it's like being in court and not knowing the law and being at the short end of the stick and being taken advantage of the law instead of being protected by the law. It's not an indication that the law is bad or that God is bad. And one of the things that God did when he said, he said he's given us the responsibility and the freedom to choose. Because I believe the other thing that God can't do is he can't make us love him. Because if he did, then it wouldn't be a choice and it wouldn't be love. And, and so God has created all this. He's told us this story and he's made all this available. He's made himself available, but he's also given us the choice and the freedom to reject him or to receive what he has for us. Adam and Eve made the wrong choice in the garden. It affected everybody. But God is not a God of two out of three. And so what I want to bring you to is the first time that the word gospel, good news, is mentioned, it's talking about God's kingdom. What is good? First of all, let's get rid of kingdom. Kingdom sounds religious or like Disney World. It's not. Let's think government, okay? Jesus said, after you hear what I'm about to tell you, you're going to look at life, you're going to have the opportunity to look at life completely differently because the government of God is now at hand. Now, in order to understand what's good about government, I want you to think about what's bad about government. Think about everything that we hate and we disdain about government these days. The lying, the, the, the cheating, the <laughs> taxes, the accounting errors. <laughs> there are so many things that we, we have so many bad examples about government, so government sounds like a negative thing, but what, why, why do we have so the, all those bad experiences? We're talking about governments that are based on fallen human beings. We're talking about governments whose laws change based on whoever holds the keys of power at that time. We're not talking about a form of government that's based on a single person who is good and good all the time. We're talking about forms of government that are broken and at best are going to let you down at some point. So when you think about people that are migrating trying to get from one country to another. The reason why they're doing that is they're trying to get into a better system of government. They're trying to get better opportunity. They're trying to get away from tyranny. They're trying to find freedom. What's good news about God's government? His government is not based on a location. His government is coming to you by the very king who it depends on and is established by. He came to earth for you. And now that he's gone into heaven, he said it was better, like John was talking about, because now we have the Holy Spirit inside us, and he lives in us, and we live in him. And now when we go out, he's going out. He's bringing his government and making it accessible and applicable to everybody through us. So that's a totally different perspective. Religion would pervert that and say that this whole story, this whole thing that's being told in the stars is about you getting to a certain destination at some point in your journey. I call it a rival theology, and it's destructive because it trains you to think about, oh, I can think about 
this when I get done with that. I can think about my sermon when I get done with work. I can think about vacation when I get done with my sermon. I can think about there's, this is something that God's teaching me how to just flow with him and to do multiple things in the course of one day and enjoy them all, but not feel like I've got to do one thing until one thing is over and then I can do the next thing. And so God's, Jesus said, I'm bringing good news. He was the first, okay, I forgot to mention this. The first three times gospels mentioned is in relation to the kingdom of heaven. And the first person to use the word gospel in a first person quote, in other words, it wasn't an author saying something, was Jesus saying this kingdom, the good news of this kingdom shall be preached in all the earth. So we've got, a, in my opinion, we've got two uh, examples of law of first use. And what one thing that God has taught me is to, is to, is to practice thinking about things in terms that a preschooler or a, a, an early elementary age child can think about. That's why I use those pictures and those, those visual aids. Instead of thinking about, draw the comparison about what we think about as government is a system based on fallen people and it's based in a certain place of geography that we have to get to. And so if we're not there, then we don't get to benefit from it. That's why people are willing to risk their lives to cross rivers and mountains and to um, put their family in jeopardy just to get from one government to the next. Imagine if those people could be greeted in their journey and say, hey, I'm going to make you a citizen. Yeah, the government's come to you. You don't have to go to the government. The government's coming to you. That's one thing that makes Jesus' message completely different. First of all, he's not a religious leader. This is what makes it good news. He didn't come to start a religion. Religions are about arguing with people about how to get to one place from another based on a set of rules and regulations and doing things in a way that pleases an unknown deity. And I have no problem saying that because Jesus is not a religion. God is not a religion. We don't have to feel like we have to compare him with that. So the cool thing about this government story is kingdoms operate on the king's words. Government, in general, operates on laws, but this particular type of government operates on the words spoken by the king. So we've got a king who is good, and he's good all the time, and he's able, and he's acting on his goodness on our behalf, and the way that he rules is through his words, and his words are, cannot be broken. We may not understand them all the time. We may not like them all the time. But his word cannot be violated. That is the one aspect that makes him fundamentally different from every other ruler and every other government that has ever been on the face of the earth. He operates by his laws. Laws do not restrict freedom. They provide and protect freedom. They promote freedom. So how do we fight for perspective by seeking the government of God? When Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God. Remember, let's get rid of the word kingdom because that sounds like religion or fairy tales. Let's say, seek first the government of God for all these things will be added unto you. Why do people come to a government that is wealthy and has welfare and has food and has protection? Because other governments don't have those things. God's government has everything that we need and it is based on his law and it comes to us. Now, how do we do this thing 
seeking first this government. I want to share a couple of aspects about his government. As I share them, I want you to think about the telescope example. Each one of these truths is like an adjustment. It's like a lens that's got to be lined up and focused, and you've got to continuously remind yourself of God's words. One of the ways that we seek first his kingdom and we fight for our perspective is to understand, first of all, believe what Jesus said about it. He talked about his government a lot. He said the kingdom, the government of God has mysteries. Mysteries are not things that God hides from you. They are things that God has hidden from the world but for you. And they're only revealed in intimate settings when we press in. So the choice is ours to come and hear and receive or to reject and go on, but they will not be forced upon you. But just because you don't choose to receive or you don't know about them doesn't mean that they were never available to you. And it doesn't mean that you won't miss out on them just because you were the one who didn't pay attention. Jesus told his disciples and those that were with him, I'm going to explain these things to you because to you it's been given to understand the secrets, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to those who are outside, it has not been given. That sounds like a discriminatory, non-inclusive, violate every politically correct law in today's society statement. That'll get you banned and kicked out of school and everything else. But what was Jesus saying? He was saying the crowds came, they received the first serving, but then once that meal was over, they left. You guys have put me first and you're choosing to set aside everything else and make me a priority, that's one of the requirements of the kingdom is to put him first. When, he becomes, when someone is your Lord, they have discretion and say so over who you are and what you do. They get first priority. The disciples and those that were with them were the ones that pressed in and said, we're, gonna, we're, putting, we're following you. We're putting our lives on hold. We want to hear what you have to say. So it's to those who make a choice to press in that the secrets of how God's kingdom work are given. In God's kingdom, things are said before they are seen. Things always start off as a seed before they are seen. God brings trees out of seeds. He brings humans out of seed. He brings the whole world was spoken into existence. What was seen was preceded by what was heard. So in God's kingdom... He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Author means he's the one that initiated this whole thing. We were his idea. He's not our idea. And he started it by speaking. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. In the beginning, and the word was spoken before light was created. Light was created by speaking. So Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word, your word, is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. When you think of word, do you think of a book being a light to your feet? Do you think of words printed on a page as being a light to your feet? Well, they are if you're a blind person and you hear step right, step forward, step high. And no matter how good or how badly you think you see, we all have limited vision. And I know that I've said that before, but I'm fascinated by the concept of perception and perspective and what you're able to see. There are things out in space that we can't see even with the best telescopes. There are things in this room that we cannot see even with the best microscopes. No matter how well we see, there, there is a limit to what we can do in our physical. 
But that's why the kingdom operates off of the spoken word. And everything that you see, good or bad, started by something that was said before it was seen. So you can let that work for you, or you can let that work against you. But understanding that concept is the same thing as going to the telescope and going, making an adjustment. When the moon moves, not because the moon moved, but because the earth moved, you've got to readjust your telescope. When you're looking at a circumstance that says that this is this way, or this is going to happen, or God doesn't exist, or God's not good, you've got to go back. Wait, i got to go back. In the beginning was the word, and the word was... The word is your starting point all the time. This is something that the Lord's been showing me. When I wake up in the morning, sometimes the word will be a scripture that's just in my spirit. And I'll just wake up with a word on my heart. Sometimes there'll be a song in my spirit, and I just wake up singing or hearing a song. Sometimes I'll go and sit down, and I hear nothing. And I'll start to read a devotion, a biblical, a good Bible study author, or I'll read something out of scripture. It doesn't matter which genre or format it comes to, but it always, once I go to the word first, with, I mean, it's like it happens so fast, all of a sudden, just revelation, just intimacy just opens up. Everything in God's kingdom, from the physical creation to your relationship and your intimacy, is based on and starts with and is supported by and sustained by the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word, was, the word brought forth life. There was an example in a, in a book that was made into a movie, so I'm not using a movie as an illustration because that's a sin up here. But there's a book <laughs> called Mary Poppins that was made into a movie. Um, and Mary Poppins, there's a picture of the kingdom in her story that I love because when she comes and it gets introduced to this family, there's a boy and a girl, brother and sister. Their dad is a banker. Their mom is, is kind of a, you know, stressed out, trying to figure out who she is, person. The family is in discord. There's stress. There's fear. There's, there's tension. And she comes in with just looking and smelling like a rose, and everything is joyful and wonderful. And she does not come in and become affected by the atmosphere. She comes in and changes the atmosphere. And the first thing that she does when she goes up to her room and she gets anointed to be their caretaker, she starts unpacking her bag. And she's carrying this bag, and out of this bag... Just incredible things are coming. Just lampstands and clothing and all kinds of other things. And, and I believe the reason why that story and, and stories like that resonate with us is because that is a picture of what God's kingdom is like and what life is supposed to be like for us. God's stories are like that. Feeding the Israelites in the wilderness with the bread is a, is a it's like a bag. Stories are like suitcases. You unpack them and all kinds of revelation and life come out of them. And that's like a seed. Trees and life come out of very small things. Things that seem like they're, they couldn't contain anything of any value or any lasting importance. Let's go back to where we started. The Father's heart is that we have intimacy and proximity with him. He wants us close. If there's anything that separates you, if there's any wrong idea or thought, if there's any fear or apprehension, if there's any lie that has been told to you that you're less than or you're disqualified, like what the Lord was ministering earlier, think about what is that doing. Is that bringing you closer 
or further away from intimacy with him. It's separating you. Sin separates. Sin is not about doing right th- good things and not doing bad things or else you're going to get in trouble. Sin is anything that separates us from our Father. He doesn't want us to have sin because he doesn't want us separated from him. But his law was put into place, and he can't violate his laws, and so he had to figure out a way to satisfy the law, which is what he did through Jesus. And our journey, our opportunity, our experience, the role that we have to play is to be like the disciples and hold on to what, you, what he's shown you. Hold on to truth. Start, hold on to your starting points. God is. God is good. All the time, he is good. And he's not just capable. He is actively able, and he's acting on his ability and his goodness to bring himself to you and all that he has for you. But he cannot violate his word, and he will not violate your will. And so there, are, there is a limit to what he can do in our lives if we are not willing to receive and believe what he says to us. Now, there are many times where God's, it, it, it looks like God's doing us special favors. I believe that God is always operating according to his law, even when we don't understand it. I don't know how, how all that works, but God is always good. He's always merciful. Even when he is being righteous and full of justice, he's also merciful and gracious. And the way that we fight for our perspective is to take these truths and to look through them first, just like I'm looking through my glasses first. My first point, my first lens I'm looking through is God is. Regardless of how these things look, God is. He's with me. He has no limits. He is good. He's for me. He's not against me. He's able. He's actively acting on his goodness towards me. And when anything in my experience doesn't line up with what he has shown me, I don't need to feel condemned. I don't need to get afraid. What I need to do is press in. Don't be like the crowds that left after the, ser- the service. Press in and say, Lord, I don't understand, but I know that you're with me, and I know that you're good, and I know that you're for me, and I choose to yield my perspective, my vantage point to you. Show me how to adjust my telescope. Show me how to focus. Show me how to not elevate any circumstance above you and who you are. That's what fighting for our perspective is. That's what I feel like God wants to do today. So if you'll stand, I just want to say a prayer, and I want to agree with what was spoken earlier, that things are breaking off today, and that wrong mindsets, bondages, lies, things that have been established, seeds that have been planted that are not of God are being uprooted today, and that when you leave this place, you don't have to wait to get back here because the kingdom goes with you. And so tomorrow morning, you can take and continue in, and that's what the goal is. God wants us to continue flowing, and this is to be a starting point, not an end point. Father, we say, we say, have your way in us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are forever. God, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You're, the, you're Jehovah Jireh. There's so many names for you because there are so many wonderful attributes to you. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for calling us your children. Thank you for letting us get to know you as Father, not just as sovereign God and Lord, but as intimate Abba Daddy. 
Thank you for bringing your government to us. Thank you for coming after us. Thank you that we don't, we don't have to impress you, Lord. All we have to do is receive you. We thank you that your government operates on your word. And your word can penetrate any obstacle, even the darkness. Sound waves can travel through anything. Light can get blocked by a physical thing, but sound can travel through anything. We thank you, Father, for the sound of your word resonating in our hearts. Lord, we love you and we say, yes, have your way in us and let your word become flesh in us. And as we go from this place, Father, we want more and more. Help us to see first you as king over every circumstance so that we can be seeking your government and we can enter into what our inheritance is now. We're not waiting until we die. We break off that lie, Father. Arrival theology is broken in Jesus' name. We're not waiting to die to inherit what you've given us. Your, your word says on earth as it is in heaven, and that is our banner, Lord. In Jesus' name, we love you. Have your way in us, Lord. Amen.